Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast and happy Thanksgiving week. I mean, right now is the time of year where things are crazy. I've been emailing back and forth with dealers all over the country for the last couple weeks about this, and a lot of people are facing serious burnout right now. This is the time of year when business is really good. We make a bunch of money, which is great because, you know, in a seasonal business, things can tend to crash later on. But in order to sustain the level of business that we have right now, it takes a toll. And this is the time of year where a lot of people are late to return emails. They're not calling back their customers the way that they should. Families and loved ones are ignored just because stuff is so busy. And as an owner or a manager or a leader, you're just putting out fire after fire after fire with no room to breathe. So I hope that this weekend you can get a chance to relax, to unplug, and to think about the things that are really important and honestly just spend some time with the people that you love. I've actually been thinking a lot about the topic of burnout and I think it's really, really important to talk about it because we have a brutal four-month stretch of the year. I mean, it can even go longer than that, but man, depending on where you live, I mean, from September through January, it can be really, really difficult. And there's a lot of people who need healthy habits just to stay sane during that time. And it's something I definitely want to address later on in the podcast. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to just make you guys aware of something that's coming up. So 2020 is already starting to fill up for me, and I wanted to give you guys a little heads up to some speaking that me and Grant Falco are going to be doing this year at the HPB Expo. So this year's Expo is in New Orleans, and Expo always goes from Thursday to Saturday, but there's days of education before that. So me and Grant are actually going to be teaching four courses back-to-back to back to back on Wednesday, March 11th. And guys, I am so stoked for this. And so here's the courses that we're going to be teaching. First off, Grant is going to teach a class that's called Delivering the Perfect Install. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this class if you're a company that wants to make money and have less callbacks on your installations. Second up, he's going to teach a course that's called Social Media 2.0. A couple episodes ago, we had him on the show, and me and him had a great conversation about social media and messaging and marketing, and that was kind of like a 1.0 conversation. At Expo this year, he's going to go to the next level and get more specific on what you need to be doing to engage customers and grow your social media presence. This is an awesome awesome course that I can't wait for you guys to hear. Now, here's the courses that I'll be teaching. First off, I'll be teaching a course that's called Win More with a Marketing Strategy. Now, the truth is in our industry, most companies don't have a marketing strategy. And this is actually true even for a lot of the manufacturers. It's just throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. Well, that doesn't work. And you guys have heard me on this podcast say that I really think that upwards of 90% of the marketing dollars that companies spend in our industry are wasted. Now, a big part of this is because it's not done with a strategy. It's not done with a purpose. They're not measuring it and they're not capitalizing what that marketing is doing for them. So the money is wasted. And I'm going to lay out the strategy that I use every single day at Fireside Home Solutions and also the tactics that I've used outside of that with the HPBA, helping other manufacturers and then doing speaking and even the marketing that I 
do for this podcast. I cannot wait to share this content with you. The next class that I'll be doing is called Sales Leadership, and it's all about how building a sales process can grow your company like never before. As a sales leader, there's basic things you can put in place to set your team up for success and hold them accountable that'll make them and you a ton of money and also create a bunch of happy customers along the way. So I can't wait for you guys to hear these four courses. I mean, seriously, guys, it's going to be back to back to back to back. Now, the two classes that I'm doing are going to be expo exclusive. Normally, what they do is they record these courses and they make them available online, but my two courses aren't going to be recorded. If you want to hear that content, you have to go to Expo. Now, you're going to need to get there a day early, which means you got to fly in Wednesday morning because Grant's first course starts at 11 a.m. But I'm telling you guys, it's going to be worth doing it. I personally think that the education days are the most valuable part of Expo. And I'm not joking that you can make a half million dollar difference in your business by applying what you learn in these courses throughout the rest of the year. Now, in addition to that, there is going to be a live episode of this podcast at Expo this year, along with a meetup. So stay tuned on the details for that, but I'm really, really excited about what's going to be going on in New Orleans. I'm actually bringing my wife out this year, and we're going to just be hanging out, taking a couple extra days just to see the city and hopefully get to chat with some of you guys. So I can't wait for that. Now, with all of that said, we're going to dive into today's conversation. This guest, I feel like she needs no introduction because her father has been on the podcast so much, but I'm actually going to introduce you to Elise Rethlake, Tim Rethlake's daughter. And as we joke around in this episode, I think that we might have found the best Rethlake. She's someone that's been a legend with the HHT brands, and she also spent some time outside the industry, and I just cannot wait for you to hear the conversation with her where we dive into rethinking the retail experience for customers. Now, as always, we're going to circle back when the conversation's over and I've got some parting thoughts on the interview. But in the meantime, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Joining me from Minneapolis, Minnesota is the retail sales manager of Fireside Hearth and Home. I am joined by Elise Rethlake. How you doing, Elise? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, hey, one thing I want to point out is you specifically said, I am not from St. Paul. I am from Minneapolis. I mean, talk to me about that. <laughs> so it's a thing. You are either from one or the other, and a lot of people stay on their side of the river. Okay. So I, I know just enough to be dangerous about that divide. I've been to the Twin Cities a few times, and I feel like St. Paul seems to be like kind of like the hipster like boutique area. Is that at all right, or is that is, is Minneapolis the more hip place? I would say Minneapolis is uh, a little bit... Uh, hipper, and there's a lot of bumper stickers in St. Paul right now that say "Keep St. Paul Boring." There you <laughs> go. Okay, it's cozier, it's friendlier. Uh, so St. So Paul's where you, where you move when you get married and have kids, and your life gets boring. Is that right? That's exactly it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, Elise, you know your dad has been on this podcast quite a bit, but I got to meet you a few months ago in Minneapolis, and I think it's safe to say that we actually have the best Rethlick on the show today. Is that fair? <laughs> You know, that is uh, very generous and kind of you. Uh, but I think if I am Rethlake 2.0, it's really only because the original is so good. And I have, you know, learned almost pretty much everything I know from okay. him. So, okay. yeah, as an eight-year-old, I probably could have, you know, told you my goals for the week and recited the seven habits to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I can totally see that happening. So, Elise, you've been around the industry your whole life, obviously, but you stepped away for a few years and came back. Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, I did. So, you know, as I, as you mentioned, I grew up around the industry uh, and then worked in it for about seven years. So I had several sales, product management, 
and marketing roles, but um, you know, knew I needed a different perspective. So my experience had been all B2B and I wanted to expand into B2C. So I stepped out of Hearth and moved over into the power sports industry doing consumer marketing for snowmobiles for a few years. As you would. Um, yeah, and it was eye-opening, truly. You know, not just because I was doing things I've never done uh, and things I probably didn't have any business doing, like snowmobiling on the side of a mountain. Sure. Um, but I think because the industry is so different and yet it's so similar to Hearth. So, you know, from a retail perspective, very similar. Lots of family-run businesses that have been local experts in their markets for years and really just trying to juggle everything at once from, you know, changing consumer dynamics to new products to new regulations. And then the product itself, you know, snowmobiles are discretionary high ticket items, much like fireplaces. Mm. And yet it's also really different. So it's it's a much simpler landscape because there's only four snowmobile brands. And then the biggest difference, I think, between Power Sports and Hearth um, is the loyalty to those brands. So Snowmobile customers are about 80% brand loyal, which is huge, and they buy new sleds frequently. And so that completely changes the type of marketing and content you're creating. So, you know, spending very little time trying to convert new customers and spending the majority of time fostering the relationships we already have with those customers. So then you compare that to coming back to this industry. And in Hearth, you know, I think we have customers who are very passionate for the experience the product brings, but the brand for the the loyalty for the brand isn't there. Oh, totally. I'm I'm so glad you said that because because I've been I try to say this graciously, but even the biggest brands in our industry, no one knows about and no one cares about. It's just no. such an obscure purchase, and and we cannot rely on our brand equity because honestly, it doesn't exist. Exactly. And so as an appliance, you know, most people can tell you what brand their fridge is, but if it's a fireplace, yeah, a lot of times it's like, well, good luck. And yeah. so. You know, not only are there a lot of choices for products and brands in our industry, but then also you add the the options of where to shop and you most often have a one time shot at the customer in your store. And then you add in that it's a complex process. And I think some of that complexity is just innate to putting fire in people's homes. But I think a lot of it is that we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. So what was it that drew you back to the hearth industry? Great question. I think what I really learned is it is so important to feel connected to what you're involved in and what you're doing. And um, I think I took for granted the like the warmth and the the home piece that that our products and our industry provide because I'd grown up with it my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to come back to that and connect with people over creating space in their home was something that I wanted to do. So coming back to the industry, the position that you're in now is is really similar to mine in that you're leading sales teams in multiple stores and then you're also doing some marketing. We talked about that back at the HHT Summer Summit this summer. And what I'm excited to chat about with you today is rethinking the consumer experience in our industry. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, but, but generally speaking, people in our position and, and the position of a lot of people in this audience is actually the best position to be in to create an amazing customer experience because they're the ones who actually know what a consumer wants because they actually work with them every day. And I think there's some opportunity there. That's a hundred percent. So I think the best thing we can do is really listen to and observe our customers because if we let them, they're going to tell and show us everything we need to know to be successful with them. And so I think really leveraging anybody who interacts with regularly with our customers, whether it's our sales or customer service, you know, installers or service techs, 
and asking them, you know, how are customers talking about this? Or what questions are you repeatedly hearing? Or, you know, where do customers seem to spend time in the showroom? I think that really helps, you know, whether it's writing an Instagram caption or web content to setting up service schedule options or showroom displays, you have a little bit better feel if you're creating or doing things that are going to hit the mark with the customer. One thing that I was thinking about a little while ago, I was with the marketing team of one of the big manufacturers and we were, we were kind of talking about different ideas and they kept coming up with, with these ideas that they say, well, what do you think about this? And I, and I would just say, well, what problem does that solve of the consumer? And they would kind of be stumped and we'd talk and it really, it didn't solve a problem. Like it was kind of creative and it was clever but it didn't actually solve a problem. And I think that it's so hard when you're working for a manufacturer because you're disconnected from the process. And I think that as we're talking today about rethinking the consumer experience, I think this can actually be championed by brick and mortar retailers that really actually do talk to the consumer and they understand, hey, these are the problems that a consumer has and this is how we can start to rethink what we do to solve those problems and actually make it easy and enjoyable to buy from us. Yep. I think that's really well said. And I I really like what you said too, about being a little bit disconnected. And I think at the same time, maybe being too close to it. And so if you've created a product that you feel very passionate about, but then the way that consumers maybe are reacting to it or the things that they care about, which are not things that you thought they would care about, it can make it hard to separate out from that. And I even catch myself sometimes on the sales floor thinking we're going in a totally different direction. And then the customer pulls something out. I'm like, oh, this is what you want to actually talk about. Let's spend some time over here. Oh, so. I'm totally with you. I think it was Hemingway that talked about how to be a good writer, you have to be able to murder your darlings because you, <laughs> you love everything you create. Absolutely. And honestly, uh, you got to be able to see the difference between what's good and what's bad and you got to chop what's bad. So if we take a step back, I want to spend some time talking about the problem. We'll brainstorm solutions a little bit later in the conversation. But what are some things that are quote unquote normal in our customer experience that we've actually brainwashed ourselves into thinking are easier than they are? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, Tim, that every business is going to have their own spin on what this looks like for them. But for us, it boils down to a couple things. And I think we could probably sum it up in that it's, it is a crazy process. It's a, it's a hard purchase. It's difficult. It's expensive. Um, And so the couple of things that, that I think that at least within our business, we've normalized first would be around language. So I think this seems to be a common theme on your podcast, but we we just know too much and our industry speak language often isn't intuitive. So when you get into words like BTUs and control module and surrounds and refractory, you know, I've, I've talked to customers who are incredibly educated about the fireplace they want to select and they still don't use words like refractory. Yeah. You know, they call it brick panels because that's what it looks like. And, and I cringe if I hear somebody correct them with, you know, well, actually it's called the refractory. <laughs> if it's a correction for correction's sake, right? And so I think we are a little bit too comfortable with not doing a better job of finding that that fine line balance between correcting a customer if we're, you know, if we're trying to empower them with knowledge or because they're truly misinformed versus just being too deep in our own world. Yeah, and with the language thing, I, I keep thinking about a doctor. Like, like when I go to the doctor, you know, a number of years ago, I broke my foot playing basketball. And so I, I go to the doctor because my foot really hurts. And if he just starts giving me all the names of the bones and, and how the muscles connect to each other and every, like, maybe there's a point where that makes sense. But if he's like, well, Tim, your fifth metatarsal connects to the uh, patella tendon and then <laughs> it does this and it does this and it brings in this muscle. And did you know that there's actually five bones in the foot and each one, like, 
that actually doesn't help me. What I need him to do is to say, hey, Tim, I, I understand how bad your foot hurts. There's actually a, a, you have five bones in your foot and one of them's broken. Here's yeah. what you can do to get better and we can help you with that. That's, that's really what I need because at the end of the day, the doctor, if you think about the end goal, man, begin with the end in mind, right? What's the doctor trying to do? The doctor's trying to help heal me. He or she is not trying to give me an education so that I can recite the 17 bones in the foot. Right, or go be a doctor yourself with all the medical terms you've yeah. learned. Totally. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think the language is a big one and, and we take, we take so much of it for granted. I mean, BTUs is, is a big one. I think about signage in our showrooms and, and I mean, I don't even, I don't think I have this figured out, but pricing is so mm-hmm. tough, right? You know, I've worked for dealers that say, don't put pricing up in the showroom. You know, that's the power of the salesperson. They got to come to you. And I actually think, I think it's just wrong that like if I go into a place and there's no pricing, I'm sitting there thinking like, what are they hiding from me? I think you right. got to show pricing, but how do you do it? I mean, okay, so I've got the price of the fireplace, but does that include this option or that option or the vent kit or the install? And I'm not, we're talking here about the problem, not solutions, but I think it's a problem. Like how much does it even cost? Exactly. And I think that then ties into you know, if, if you solve that problem, then that creates the other problem of, well, then what does your sales process look like? And how are you helping and enabling your teams to make sure they're able to communicate the value to the customer? And so it, it definitely starts to snowball pretty quickly. And so I think that's part of what makes it complicated. Yeah. And I think as a consumer, and th- this is a stereotype, but I, I think that there's a lot of truth to it for dealers. But, but you think about normal customer experience is when they first hear about the idea of a fireplace, where's the first place that they go? Online. Right, so they probably end up on the manufacturer's webpage, and I'm just going to go out, going to go out on a limb and say, most manufacturers have a confusing website that doesn't help people. So they get confused, and a lot of them just hit the back button and never even think about a fireplace again. But, but some people are just they they push through and they think, yeah, okay, this could help me. I'm kind of confused. I don't get this terminology, but maybe they click on the local dealer or they download a coupon or whatever it is. So then they end up on the local dealer's webpage, which very often is more confusing than the manufacturer's. And yeah. they're, they, they're, they've spent all this time researching and they're just confused. So again, we lose a lot of people to this, but the folks who are still left, they drive 30 minutes to go to your showroom. And if they're anything like mine, your showrooms are hard to find and there's not much parking. And I mean, I, and I'm just thinking about like me and, and my family, like for us to get my wife and the kids on a Sunday to go somewhere, like it's an act of God. Like yeah. really, yep. I mean, we it have to, a commitment and a half. That's right. So, you, so you, you go here, you've gone through all this headache on the front end so far of being confused. You've driven to get there and then you go to the showroom and you get talked to for 30 to 45 minutes and you're confused about BTUs and zero clearance fireplaces and micro mesh versus standard mesh and CFMs and vertical termination, all these things. And and I I know I'm being hyperbolic here, but this is what happens a lot of the time. And so you get to the end of it as a consumer and you go, perfect, how much is it going to cost me? And most folks go, well, we'll get the estimator out there next week to come out and, and bid your job for you. And they'll tell you everything that you need. And then as the consumer, you're like, well, wait a minute. I've already spent all this time online. Yeah. What did I just do for the last yeah, I've, I've driven down there. I spent 45 yeah. minutes and you're going to, so then you wait five days to a week and a half later for the estimator to show up and hopefully they show up on time. They're at your house and, and you're getting really excited. Okay. Hey, you know, they're, they're measuring everything and they say, you know what? This fireplace is going to work. And, and, and you as the consumer go, perfect. How much is it going to cost me? And the estimator goes, well, we're going to go back to the office. We'll, we'll crunch those numbers and we'll get right back to you. I mean, is this, 
I don't think that I'm actually speaking that crazy here. Is this a normal experience? I I think that's pretty normal. And actually that gets into one of the other things that, you know, when we think about just the number of trips it takes to complete a project. So, you know, and I know it varies by project, but I don't think, you know, I've ever seen a project where we're doing the installation where it's fewer than four trips by the time you do the preview installation inspection and startup. And that doesn't even include, include to your point coming into the showroom or all the research that they've done ahead of time. And so, you know, that is four times minimum, we're asking customers to be home. And I think we see it so often that we fall into the trap of, you know, well, of course, this is a four part process. And so we brainwash ourselves into thinking that's normal, that this is normal, and that everyone should be okay with this. And that, you know, why can't you stay home from work and those things. And so while I think there might not be much we can do to simplify the number of steps, I think one thing we can definitely focus on is around communication and improving that. And you know, poor communication obviously kills rapport really quickly with customers. And I had the opportunity before I came back into the hearth world to actually put an insert in my home. And so I kind of got to be on the outside looking in, experiencing what this is like. And, you know, granted, I obviously know a little bit more about it and I still found it incredibly confusing. So I can't imagine coming into it, not having grown up in the industry, trying to work through this. And as I've been thinking through this, especially over the past couple of months, you know, things like, do we let our customers pick how they want us to communicate with them. Like starting even there, from yeah. a simple, like if it's a phone call, email or text, or do we just say, well, nope, we've always used phones or emails the way that we do it. And that's the way we're going to do it. You know, and, and do we, do they receive automatic appointment reminders so we can ensure one, that they're receiving them and two, that it's a consistent message. Cause I think sometimes if we, depending on who is um, owning that part of the, the process, so to speak, if mm-hmm. it gets really busy, it's easy to let those things go, right? Because you're on to the next thing. And yep. so now you've got customers kind of hanging out there. And then a big one for me is like, do we follow up after the installation? Or do we follow up at the end of the season to see how it went? Or oh, does it man. feel very much like a one and done, I sold you and you know now you're on your way. And then probably the other big opportunity under the communication umbrella that I see is really letting customers know you know, who is coming to their home and sending a photo, a name or a short bio so that that person is comfortable and well-informed about who to expect, especially, um, I think a lot of times it's women alone in a home when they're waiting for these totally. calls, um, not saying that it's, you know, that men like to be comfortable too, but it's just different. And and then when that person arrives, you know, are they wearing clean apparel that has totally. the store brand so that our customers really know that we are who we say we are? Yeah. And, and I think that the thing I, I don't want people to misunderstand is that I don't think we're saying that this is not a complex product because it is. And I've been knocked before when I go and talk to companies and, and groups about making it easy where people say, well, you're just trying to, you know, commoditize us like everybody else. And, and that's not, that's not it at all. We do sell a complex product. And I think that there's actually a lot of beauty in that. It's the reason that we haven't been disrupted yet by Amazon or someone else. But just because we sell a complex product doesn't mean there aren't things we can do to simplify the customer experience or at least be very clear in, in setting the right expectations. And I think that that's probably what a lot of it comes down to. Exactly. And I think what's what's beautiful about this is we've we've already given some examples of how hard this is. And yet look at how many people still sign up for it. They still let us do it. Yeah. And so the, the need and the desire and the want to to add this to their home is there. And just think about how much better it could be by just changing or tweaking a couple things to make the process clearer. I'm with you. And and I think that this goes back to the curse of knowledge that the longer we do this, the harder it is for us to see the way that things used to be before we knew about all this. It's harder for us to think like the customer does 
And frankly, I think that most companies in our industry are kind of blind to the experience the customer wants to have because they're too close to what they do. Yep, 100% agree with you. Well, let's start from the beginning and let's let's brainstorm this. So if we understand that the first place that people are going to go to encounter any of our companies is the internet, what should the web experience be like for a customer? Yeah. And, you know, I really like, Tim, that you're thinking about it in terms of the overall web experience, because I think sometimes our tendency is to think just about a website and we kind of get really stuck there. Yeah. And it's just, but it's just so much broader than that when you think about website or online reviews and social media. And so, you know, granted that each channel is going to serve a different purpose. Um, at the end of the day, the web experience really is usually your first impression with a customer. Mm-hmm. So I like to think about it as it, it really should be consistent easy, valuable, and help create a connection. So I like that. Consistent, consistent, easy, valuable, and help create a connection. connection. All right. Take notes if you guys are listening to that. (laughs) And then consistency really centers around, you know, not only is the information and language similar across all the platforms. So how you're talking about your company on the web should in some ways be reflected across the other places they're going to see it. Ideally, you'd be seeing that in the way that people are talking about you and on reviews, but then also pulling that through to the in-store experience. And I know we're going to stay on digital, but don't want to lose that thought yeah. too of if you have a very strong web presence, but then they walk into your store and it looks like it's 1995 and they actually don't have the new product in there that they thought they were going yeah. to see, that's a disconnect that doesn't work. Um, and then with easy, you know, as a customer, can I find what I'm looking for? Do I understand what you offer and what's needed for me to move forward? So if I you know, hit your landing page on your website and I truly don't know what next step to take because I'm not seeing anything that's resonating with me, whether it's um, a call to action about product or, you know, quote, or what do we do as a company and how can we solve, how can we provide value to you? You're most likely going to lose them. Yeah. So if you've got both those pieces and if as a customer, I'm seeing consistent information about your company and it's easy to find, I think the bigger question is, is it valuable? You know, is, is it enough or is it the right message at the right time to make me take the next step? So one thing we've done is create sections in our digital space that focus very specifically on converting from a wood to gas fireplace, adding a new fireplace or replacing an existing fireplace. Yeah. Um, because we found that these really are the three types of projects that retail customers are doing. And the sooner we can get them in the right track, the more valuable it will be. Because, you know, when you hit a product page and all of its fireplaces, but some are inserts, if you're just at the first part of your journey, you're not going to know what you should even be looking at. And maybe you fall in love with a fireplace when all along that is not going to be the right product for your for your project. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I want to ask you this while, while we're talking about this part of the website. And this is, this is something that I, I actually have a video series talking about some of the reasons that companies' websites are leaking money. And one of the things that I feel like is it's really simple, but most websites actually don't have any pricing. And, and I think about this like if I'm going to buy a car and I go to, say, Toyota's website or Lexus or BMW or Honda, whatever it is, I, I, I actually want to know the, at least a range of like what do these cars cost? Because I, I want to know that as I'm doing my research. And for a product that's obscure as fireplaces, one thing I think that we should be thinking about is how do we address the pricing on our website? Because I think it's actually a big deal. It makes it much easier for a consumer to get what they need and understand if this is going to be a project they can handle. It is. And I think I think it's impossible to move forward in the next step of the process without having some of that information to level set the expectations, right? And yeah. 
um, it also helps because then the people that are either, you know, asking for you to come to their home or that are making it to your showroom are letting you know that, yep, I'm well aware of kind of a estimate of what this could cost. And they're still deciding to move forward with it, which is great. So I do think it's important to show pricing, but I think you have a valid point of how do you have that conversation about installation or, you know, special projects, or we need to build a platform, or actually we got to pull out your old fireplace first. There's so many things, but I think that you can get around that with language to help people understand this is starting at this. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Now you had one more. I think I cut you off, didn't I? Oh, so it's, and actually it's one of my favorite parts to talk about. So really around creating a connection. Okay. So, you know, this can look like sharing the faces and personalities that make up your excellent team. Um, but where I think there's a huge opportunity, especially within the hearth industry, is talking more about giving back. So more than ever today, I think consumers are drawn to and probably frankly expect companies to be good community stewards. Um, so locally, we're involved with Housing First Minnesota. So it's an organization dedicated to ensuring affordable housing in the Twin Cities. And that's a great match for us as a local company because we pride ourselves on helping create home spaces. Um, but it can look like a lot of things. So, you know, sponsoring a soccer team, volunteering with Habitat for Humanity. And I think there are just so many ways now to interact with customers long before they walk through your door to give them a glimpse about who you are and what you care about. Mm -hmm. And so taking it broader than just, well, we sell fireplace products. So we're only going to talk about fireplace products or things that matter about, well, we have wood on sale or get, you know, five bags of pellet, get one free and making it about human and connection, because especially on social, that's a place where they can react back to you directly and create a conversation um, and help build that brand locally in a really easy way. Absolutely. And I think that one thing that's really important to think about, especially as millennials are starting to get more and more buying power is it's stereotypical, but it's the truth that millennials want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so again, your price has got to be in the ballpark. You got to be able to provide a, a good service, but all things being equal, most millennials would rather buy from a company who they trust is going to be generous with that money to their community. Exactly. And I think you're seeing it at all levels, not just at large national brands, but I think you're seeing more and more local companies understand that, embrace it, and and come at it from a place of truly wanting to show up as a local business partner for the community. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. One thing that we've done the last couple of years that's been really cool is we actually have a trophy that's called the Giving Cup. And it's a battle between our Washington stores and our Oregon stores for who can raise or donate the most money to this cause. And that's actually been a really cool thing for us to kind of get around something bigger than ourselves. And that's, that's evolved into last year we were supporting two different organizations, one in Seattle, one in Portland, that had to do with basically providing uh, homes for at-risk youth. And this year we're working with a nonprofit that is specifically providing internship and job opportunities for minority kids that are in the inner city who don't have the same opportunity as other folks. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things, it, I, I think it's a win-win. I think, I think that for us, like, it teaches us something about ourselves. It helps show our customers that we're real people, but also it actually really does make an impact. And ultimately, that's what we want to be as people of impact that are changing the communities that we live in for the better. Absolutely. And I don't think you can um, underestimate what it does for the culture of your company too, right? And knowing that for your salespeople or your service, they are part of something bigger as well. And so I know we've been talking about it from a customer perspective, but I think it can have a tremendous positive impact to say, yep, we live here, we work here, and, and we want to get back 
We'll get back to our interview with Elise Rethlake in just one minute. Hey, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last month or so, you've heard me talking about our free video series that's called Three Reasons Your Website is Leaking Money. Now, you can get access to this by going to yourwebsiteisleakingmoney.com, and there's a space where you can sign up and get free access to all of these videos. Now, one of the questions that I've been getting from people as they've been watching these videos and trying to figure out how to patch the holes in their website has to do with automated email marketing. And basically the question is, are my customers going to get turned off by automated emails being sent to them? And the answer is no, because they need to be followed up with. And truthfully, your sales team is not following up with them. So Having automated email marketing is super, super important. And there's ways to do this that give value to the customer rather than just badger and annoy them. But honestly, we've been doing email marketing for years at my company. We've sent out thousands and thousands and thousands of emails, and we have an unsubscribe rate of less than 5%. I mean, less than 5% of the customers unsubscribe. And here's the beautiful thing when it comes to automated email marketing. If you have a campaign that is extremely valuable to a customer where you're sending videos, tips, information in every single email, even if customers don't read every single one of your emails, that's totally fine. As long as they haven't unsubscribed, every time an email comes, you are branding the customer with your company's identity and ethos, even just by reading who it's from and the subject line. Over time, as you send them email after email after email, as long as they're valuable and they've got great information, you're going to find that you all of a sudden become the company that the customer thinks of when it comes to needing a fireplace. The reason why is that you're the only company that has invested in them again and again and again and again. I've personally had countless examples of customers that we have won business on when really we were higher priced than other companies, but because we were the ones that gave them the information that was valuable, we followed up again and again and again, they chose to do business with us. So to answer the question, yes, automated email follow-up is extremely important. Now you need to make it valuable to your customer, but if you can do this, you're going to find out that there's all kinds of customers who are slipping through the cracks because they were never followed up with. So I hope that that helps answer the question. If you want to get more information like this, you've got to check out the video series, Three Reasons Your Website is Leaking Money. You can get access to that by going to yourwebsiteisleakingmoney.com. Now, circling back to the consumer digital experience, one thing to think about is that all of us live in the real world. We've all got Netflix. We all use Uber. Our own consumer behavior has proven that we want speed and convenience. I mean, our own consumer behavior has proven it. But generally speaking, our industry hasn't adopted those habits, has it? No, you know, it hasn't. And I, I do think part of that is because agility is hard, but I think it's especially hard when you're wearing multiple hats in a business, sure. like most of us are. Um, and a saying I usually come back to is I can do anything, but I can't do everything. Mm. And so as we talk about this before, you know, I think it's in our best interest to really listen to and observe our customers, because I think that can help show which changes might have the biggest impact. So you know, are there things we want to change in every area of our business? Of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, but for example, if most of the comments I hear from customers are about how they want more flexibility and how they communicate with us, then I'm probably going to chase like online chat or text to chat options or automatic ringback ahead of some other changes. Because again, the customer is telling us what we want. We just got to listen and be able to prioritize that based on what they're saying versus what we think it should be. So thinking about this then, 
if consumers, and even we can testify to this, that we want speed and convenience over just about anything else, you know, we've got Amazon, we've got Uber, we've got Netflix, we have all these disruptors that are coming in and just leveling tried and true businesses over the last, you know, that have been here for the last 50 years. What can we do to have a brick and mortar store stand apart? I mean, why would someone drive somewhere to buy when everything's available online now or will be shortly? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. But, you know, I do think we're very lucky to have products that are so visual and emotional. And so to your point, yes, our customer is going to do most of their research online. Do they expect to be able to do most things online? Yes, but I think they are still going to come to brick and mortar stores specifically for that sensory element with our products. And then if they're going to do that, like you said, if they're going to like take the marathon of getting a couple kids in the car and yeah. come out on a Sunday, our part of that then is creating a welcoming and inviting space for them to come to. And so I think if we're not keeping up with design trends in our showrooms or helping inspire customers to imagine what the products could look like in their own homes, then brick and mortar does start to lose its value really quickly because now we aren't giving them something that they couldn't have gotten potentially either online or watching a video or just walking over to their neighbor's house who happens to have a fireplace. You're right. And one thing I'm thinking about, I actually just finished reading the book, Winning Her Business by Bridget Brennan. And that that book was amazing. And it was focused specifically on, on talking to women consumers. But honestly, I felt like even though some of those trends might edge towards women, it's it's honestly true for people in general. Absolutely. And one of the things that she talked about was creating a consumer experience. And I just wonder how often do we think as retailers, how does it feel when I walk in? What does our showroom smell like? You know I mean? Like if you go to the Westin, you smell the Westin scent the second you go into that lobby. I mean, you know, a, a number of years ago, me and my wife went to Hawaii and we stayed at a Airbnb outside the Westin, but we went, we went to a luau there. We had to walk through the lobby to go to the luau. The second we walked into that lobby, you feel like a baller. I mean, it smells amazing. The colors are light and bright. You know, do people feel that way when they go into our stores? Because if we think about this, they're dropping like five to 10 G's. Like this is a high dollar purchase. You should make them feel like a baller when they go in there. Yes. And I think that ties in really well to what you said earlier about a lot of times our showrooms are like off on bizarre service roads and you're not 100% sure where the front door is and are they open? I'm not sure. And so it's even like, what are they, when they pull up, what are they seeing? Are there lines in the parking lot where like they know where to park or if we just kind of let it, you know, go. And then from there to your point, once they walk in, you know, is it, is it welcoming in the sense of, you know, are there snacks and treats and not that snacks and treats are going to, you know, make the difference if they're going to, if they're going to purchase or not. But I, I do think it, it adds to say, we're happy you're here. We want you to be comfortable. Let's talk about your fireplace. Well, and I'll just tell you for me. So whenever I go get my haircut, I've been going to the same guy for years. I go to downtown Portland. It's this hipster guy. He's covered in tattoos and he, he gives me a great haircut. But when I walk into that place, they always offer me a beer and I always take it. I mean, I'm usually there after two o'clock in the afternoon, but I know that the price of that beer is probably being added to my haircut, <laughs> yeah. but I st- it f- makes me feel really good. And, and, and I'm just thinking that like, I think there's things we can do in our showrooms that are very easy to make a customer feel like they're valued, to make them feel really good. And, and I wonder too, this goes back to the third episode of this season when we talk about understanding a customer's problem. That was step two of our sales process. The idea of understanding a customer's problem and painting a picture of the road that they need to take is so important. And 
you know, you just think about what would happen if you went into a fireplace store and it smells amazing, it looks really cool, someone comes in and introduces themselves, and, and before they show you a product, they say, you know, buying a fireplace, it, it can be a confusing thing. There's some steps involved. I'd love to show you the three steps it's going to take to get this done. First, what we can do today is learn everything we need about your home. Second, we can recommend the perfect fireplace. And third, we can show you how that gets installed safely. Can we learn a little bit about your home now? Just even the clarity of, of setting the expectation of, here's what it takes to get it installed. I think that's part of an amazing customer experience. I 100% agree. And I think it also you know, the, the value of letting a customer know what they're going to get into before they're almost feeling trapped. And it's been 45 minutes yeah. and they had no, you know, this was a, supposed to be a quick 10 minutes after work trip can be immensely valuable. Yeah. Well, it, so it seems to me when we're thinking about this consumer experience, Amazon has mastered transactional buying. I mean, there's no one that can compete with Amazon when it comes to transactional commodity purchases. But to me, it seems like there's still serious opportunity when you talk about quote unquote feeling products like ours. But the problem is most salespeople and most retail experiences for customers end up being all about facts and figures, which is transactional language. And it actually undercuts our true expertise, which is the relational, the feeling aspect and the personal expertise of how this is going to work in your exact home. Yep, that is completely true. And I know you've discussed on this podcast before, you know, your, your five little words of death of how can I help yeah. you, but that kind of automatically pushes you into product features, whether or not you meant to go there or not. So um, I like to start conversations with customers with questions like, you know, why do you love being in this room? Or what's your favorite part? Or how do you use the space? And it's just incredible to watch their eyes light up. And all of a sudden, it's it's become very much about them, but it's in this safe space of talking about a room. And then often I'll share my own experiences with my fireplace. And I think one thing that's important not to forget is that everyone that's coming through our doors has a story and a home they've created. And they're here because they know we have a fireplace solution. Like they yeah. didn't accidentally stumble into our store. Totally. So we don't have to jump right into BTUs. And the best time spent is really spending some time digging into their why for wanting to do this type of project. And I think it naturally can't help but go more of the, you know, feeling or emotional route versus transactional, because that's automatically going to take you there. At least you're absolutely right. And I think about this a lot, you know, very often when we find out someone's been looking at a fireplace, whether it's online or at a competitor store, we jump to facts and figures. Oh, well, that's 30,000 BTUs. We've got one that's 35,000. Oh, that doesn't come with a remote. We've got one that comes with a remote. Oh, yep. that's got, you know, this, this, like, we jump into facts and figures. And I'm not saying that those things don't matter. But when we, when we jump to immediately, well, they've got this, we've got this, they've got this, we've got this. When the consumer goes home, they are now understanding that that's the most important aspect. So is 35,000 BTUs better than 30,000 BTUs? Maybe. I mean, like, Honestly, in my house, it's not. Like, I would rather have a 30,000 BTU fireplace because I don't need that much heat. But when you instantly jump to, oh, well, you looked at this online, well, we've got more BTUs or we've got, you know, a better remote, the customer starts to think like, oh, okay, so I guess more BTUs is better. And they start, that's how they start to make their decisions. And it really becomes a commodity purchase because they'll find something that's got the same amount of BTUs as yours or something that's got a thermostatic remote just like yours. And when all things are equal, it's price that decides. Exactly. But what we can offer in retail is a reassurance that this money spent is the best money you could spend. And that's worth something. I mean, if I'm going to drop $5,000 
That's a huge amount of money. That is a major remodel. Even though we don't think like a gas insert is a major remodel, it is a major remodel for a home. And me as a consumer or my wife as a consumer, we are terrified that we're going to make a mistake. And that's where we can jump in and actually say, you know what? We've helped a lot of people in this exact same situation. Just last week, we put an insert in, you know, three blocks away from your house, and it absolutely helped these people. We can do the same thing for you. We can reassure them based on our experience and the solutions that we've provided in a way that online, you know, Amazon or whoever else is not able to. Exactly. And I think part of that is standing up and not being afraid to say that we aren't, you know, we aren't the Amazon of fireplaces we don't want to be. And I think the reasons you just gave are the reasons for that. And when you take it transactional, and like you said, it does become about price, then you've almost completely lost your opportunity to talk at all about yourself as a company, because those two things don't jive together. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about remotes and then turn around and say, and also we love being part of the community. And so if you, if you're starting there, then that's opening up that relationship building already. And then to your point, it's not that those parts of the product don't matter, but it's really, it's solving the problem. It's not the solution. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you one last question before we sign off here. And I want to ask you, Elise, in general, how do we rethink retail to engage with today's consumer and stand apart from the typical hearth retailer experience? I'm going to nuance this question just a little bit. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, man, we are hard to buy from. Man, we've got these complicated processes. Man, I guess that we do use language. Does make sense? Where do you start if you're if you're on this journey? Maybe you're in a family business that's that's slow to change. Where would you start? Yeah, so I like to think of it within three categories, and I usually find myself going back to these three things each time we're discussing any change we want to make to our business. So, you know, we've already talked about that it's great to get input from customers as they're, as you're hearing things to kind of drive that. But then when it comes down to actually deciding, you know, what are we going to do or not do, we'll ask, does this make it easy? Does it give inspiration or does it build confidence? And so as I'm thinking through that, you know, from an ease perspective, you know, time seems to be a recurring thing that many people feel like they don't have enough of. And we've already talked about how adding a fireplace to the home can include a lot of steps. And so when we talk about easy, I'm thinking about it as like, how are we knocking down the roadblocks through the process? So this could look like, you know, intuitive navigation on the website. Can we help them find information faster? Do we offer weekend or after work hour appointment times? Or do we say, sorry, it has to be between 9am and 4pm and too bad that you work. Um, do we provide in-home consultations? More and more people are saying, I don't want to come to your showroom, but I do want to interact with somebody who can walk me through this process. Yeah. I need to learn more. Um, and something as simple as, I know we've talked about it a couple of times, but texting customers or giving them an automatic callback option. I don't want to stay on the phone for 40 minutes trying to schedule a service call. Please call me back. Yep. Wow. So that was easy. And next up was inspired, right? Yeah. So I think people often buy for an experience. So, I mean, obviously our customers are buying a solution that also provides heat, but when you talk to them about their fireplace, you know, they'll often say things like, I love curling up to it on a winter night or being in front of it is the best part of the holidays. So I think it's crucial to keep showrooms updated. And as we listen to customers, the solution we provide should feel really personal and customized just for them. So as your sales team is talking, continue to bring it back to because you said, or you mentioned this to make it feel like this is not just another cookie cutter. Yes. Hey, we've put 300 inserts in and we're just going to do the same thing for you. Yep. That's really good. And then from lastly, from a confidence perspective, you know, we want them to feel great about the thousands that they're investing. So 
We want them to know that they have got the right solution tailored for them and that they trust that we're the ones that can do it. And so this can include things like, you know, user-friendly, transparent quotes or investing in the right tools to get lots of high quality online reviews, flawless communication, um, or even appointment reminders or post-sale follow-up, things like that. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, the reviews one is, is so, it's such low hanging fruit. And, and the truth is that I think that that's where all of our equity should be is in those reviews and they're hard to get. I mean, there's no way around it. They're hard to get, but we can complain all we want about how Yelp and Google aren't fair and things get deleted. And I mean, but you know, that's the judge and jury in consumers' minds. And it's the same way for us. Like if me and Jessica are going to go get Thai food at night, we're going into Google maps and just punching in Thai food. And if it doesn't have a minimum of four stars, like it's not even getting considered. And I'm not asking questions about, well, I wonder if this is fair to the business. No, if it doesn't have four stars, I'm not buying $9.50 Thai food. How much more, uh, you know, five to $10,000 fireplace. Exactly. I know that's so true. And I I do think the real beauty too is, is when you're working on something that can encompass two, if not all three of the things of easy, inspired, confident. I think that's probably also your, your green light go ahead to, that that is worth your time for your business. And I think reviews is one of those things. I like that. Easy, inspired, and confident. Well, Elise, it's been amazing having you on the podcast today. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that we found the best (laughs) red leg. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Thanks so much. Take care. All right, we'll see you later. Wow. Tim Rethlake, you may have been replaced, my friend. Your daughter has some serious chops. Hey, guys. I hope you got as much value out of that conversation as I did. Even listening back as I was editing it, I was taking some serious mental notes to what Elise was talking about. Now, a few things that I want to highlight here as we round out this episode is, number one, the language that we use is a big deal. I feel like that's been one of the central themes of this podcast is we have to speak at the level of our customers. We cannot speak over their heads. And if we think about it, I mean, our showrooms are chock full of this language about BTUs, framing specs, vertical termination, direct vent technology, insert, zero clearance fireplace, all these things that don't make any sense to a customer. Remember, we're not trying to make them a fireplace expert like we are. We're trying to give them a solution for a problem they're having in their home. And that means that we do want to educate them, but only to the degree that it's going to help them. Now, another thing that Elise talked about that I think is really important is the relationship between the digital and the retail experience that they actually have to mix together. And this is so important. It's actually the heart behind the video series, Three Reasons Your Website is Leaking Money, that we talked about partway through this episode. But when customers hear about your company, they always go to your website first. No one is coming in your doors before checking you out online. It's just not the way that marketing works anymore. What happens is a customer sees a piece of your marketing, whether it's an ad in a magazine or a TV commercial or a radio ad, social media, whatever it is, they go to your website and then from there, they come into your store. So this relationship needs to be consistent. I mean, if your website looks like a third grader made it, they're probably not going to come into your store. But what can be bad is if you've got this amazing, professional, beautiful website and they come into your store and it is not at all the same experience, that does not bode well for your company. So some things to think about. This is what what we've done. So we operate on a very, very simple system. We have the same customer plan on our website that we do in the showroom. And it hinges around three things. We always try to tell our customers our goal is step one, we want to get you an estimate for your project. Step two is that we'll come out for a free in-home visit. And step three is we're going to perform an easy, 
and safe installation. We say that over and over and over. That happens on our website. That happens in the showroom. And it helps keep customers focused and aligned with our brand. And that might sound too simple, but honestly, it's a really, really big deal. You want to think about what is the sales process that you're communicating to customers on your website and does that resonate with what's going on in your showroom? Elise gave us a grid of four things that I thought were really good to think about with this. Consistent, easy, valuable, and then create a connection. So with consistent, you know, obviously pretty self-explanatory, does your digital experience, i.e. your website, your social media posts, that sort of thing, have consistency with your retail showroom? Now, next up is easy. And I think this is really good that she said, can I find what I'm looking for? I mean, that's a big question for people's websites. And honestly, on most websites, people can't find what they're looking for. But in your showroom, it's the same. You know, can they find what they're looking for? Is your showroom designed in a way that a customer can easily understand the product that's going to work for them? Now, the next one she said is, do I know the next step to take? And that's super critical. If you think about that, as we're trying to make it easy for customers, they have to know the next step. (laughs) Going back to our sales process, that was the episode that we had with Bradley Hartman that was all about make a plan, which is essentially outline all the steps in the process for the customer. But this is a really big deal. When they're on your website, do they know the next step to take? Do you have a call to action button that says, call now, get my estimate, schedule an in-home visit, whatever it is. On your website, the customer has to know what to do next. And honestly, in the showroom, they do too. True story. We had a new hire come on board a little while ago, and I had him secret shop four places around the Portland metro area. And these are all like reputable heart stores. He went into every single one, and no one offered to write him up a quote. No one did. Every single one sent him out with a brochure and a business card. And it made me think how much business is being wasted by customers who are coming in wanting to buy your products, but the salespeople are not giving them the next steps. And that's one thing that we feel like is really important in our store is we're not perfect at this, but if someone comes into the store, my goodness, we are going to get them a quote or get them into an in-home visit or do something to paint the next step in the process so we can keep their momentum moving towards the purchase. I thought that was a really insightful point that Elise made. The next one she had is valuable. Does it solve their problem? And we got to think about this with what's on our web pages and also what we tell customers. Is it valuable to them? Are we presenting these features and benefits in a way that is valuable, that solves their problem? Or are we just bragging about information that builds us up and actually doesn't help the customer? It's really important. And then lastly, create a connection. I've heard people say that, well, online, you can't create a connection like you can in the real world. And I would actually say that's not true. If, if anyone has ever supported or donated to a Kickstarter campaign, I guarantee that when you watched that video and your heartstrings got pulled to donate to it, you connected just like you would have in person. The truth is that online, you can make a connection with your customers. It just takes some intentional time, thought, effort, but there are ways to do this. Now, in your showroom, oh my gosh, I mean, even more so, the beauty about a human-to-human interaction is that you have the ability to connect very fast and very deep. But what happens very often is we fall back into transactional talk, talking about BTUs and square footage and, well, my price against theirs and my remote against theirs. We don't connect at a human level. 
So with that in mind, I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving week with friends, with loved ones, with family, and you're ready to hit the ground running again on Monday for the busy season. So with that in mind, God bless you guys, and I'll talk to you next week on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn.